Hey everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Hey, good morning, church. Happy Easter. What a glorious day to celebrate the risen Lord. And we, uh, you know, we just thought, hey, what if we throw open a little bit of a broader invitation? You think the church is ready to respond? Holy cow. We filled up the, the yard over there, the lawn, and uh, we've, we've worshiped. We've f- kind of filled up the sanctuary. We had people in Aspen Center and everywhere. Just, and all of you at home are worshiping to the glory of the Lord. This is a glorious day to lift up the resurrection of Christ. I think never... Probably never in our lives has there been a year where we have thirsted more for resurrection power than this year. And we get to celebrate, amen? Amen. We get to be the church today. If you're new to First Pres, I'm the lead pastor here, Tim McConnell, and just uh, glad that you're here. God has got us on a mission. God has us on an errand as a church, and we are not giving that errand up. And if you wanna be a part of it, just jump in with us. You'll find all kinds of things that God has planned for you. As we've been talking through this uh, series, we've been talking about how Jesus came to give his life away. And he always knew that that was his purpose, that was his reason for coming, to give his life away. And we're going to read about that this morning, John 19, verses 17 to 30. And as we open our scriptures to that, let's open our hearts in prayer. Lord, help us to receive your word, not some dead letter on a page or some inspiring idea. Help us to receive your word, your voice, God, speaking into each of our lives, speaking of grace and truth and drawing us into faithfulness to Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. The church said, amen. Amen. John 19. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There, they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate. Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shears, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece, From top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that day, 
this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This is God's word. We're grateful. Amen. Jesus came to give his life, to give his life away. And on the cross, he gave his life. I've, uh, I've driven a Jeep for about 10 years. Um, it's a, a Jeep, 2011 Jeep. It's been a pretty good car. For, it's been a very reliable car for me, right up until this year. A couple of months ago, the horn started going off randomly. <laughs> this was exciting when I was driving, you know. Woo, oh, okay. Hey, people would look at me. I'm like, there's nothing I can do, man. I'm not, I'm not, horn's just going off. But then what was surprising to me was that the horn actually went off when the car was just parked and the keys were out of it. And I'm in my office and I hear the horn going off over in the parking lot. And so I had to disconnect the battery just to leave the car behind for a minute. I mean, this was ridiculous. This is really something. But the problem wasn't the battery, which I replaced. The problem wasn't the horns, which I replaced. The problem wasn't the instrument cluster, which I replaced. The problem was the cruise control switch in the steering wheel. You, you probably knew that, right? That, you figured, that just makes perfect sense, right? Of course, the cruise control switch. Why didn't I think of that? The problem was the cruise control switch, which I replaced. Yes. Now, once you've done that, you no longer think of that car and use the phrase, very reliable, do you? No, I've got another phrase for that car now. I'm not going to tell you that phrase. But my church phrase is this. When I think of that car, I think of the question, what's it going to cost to fix that? Right? What's it going to cost to fix it? Anybody got a car like that? Yes. Yes. My brothers, my sisters. Yep. Don't keep it. Get rid of it. You don't need it. What's it going to cost to fix that? Well, I think that's a question, church, that we've been asking all year long. A new virus erupts on the, on, the, on the globe. A year later, 2.9 people have lost their lives. Entire nations have been pushed to the edge. I mean, things have been shut down. Restaurants, companies, uh, schools have been closed. Churches have been closed. All of this. And all along the way, we've been asking, what's it going to cost to fix this? What's it going to cost? Where our, our government has, has already put forward in trying to fix it. Do you know how much? Seven trillion U.S. dollars. That's a lot. And is that going to fix it? What's it going to cost? I mean, what about, what about you know, the kids who've lost a, a year of being at school together? What's it going to cost to fix that? How about marriages that have been strained, have been pushed to the breaking point under the stress of this year? How do you make that 
Right. How about rising alcoholism or anxiety or depression or drug use? All these things. How are you going to fix it? What's it going to cost to put all of this right again? Here's what I can tell you, friends, with absolute certainty. Whatever it costs to put this back together, you and I, even all of us together, even if you online pitch in, we're not going to be able to pay it. It's more than we can afford. What's it going to cost to fix that? Today we celebrate a man named Jesus. Why? Why? Because he did, uh, taught some inspiring things. Is that why? Because he did some, some kind deeds, some nice things to a few people uh, 2,000 years ago, a half a world away. Is that why? Is that why people are gathered by the millions in every city across the globe? Because Jesus led an inspiring life and we kind of hope to live an inspiring life too. Is that what this is about? Is that why we're gathered to celebrate Jesus? Listen, this passage that we just read, it doesn't say anything about any of that stuff, does it? No. It shows us this man, Jesus, dying on a cross. And that's the most important thing about Jesus. Straight across the world, what is the symbol that represents Jesus Christ the most? What is the symbol? What is the symbol? You got it? The cross. The cross. I mean, the cross is the symbol of Jesus Christ. Why? Because on that cross, Jesus paid what we could not pay. He came to give his life away. He came, he came to, to pour his life out. Jesus paid what we could not pay to fix what we could not fix. And it looked a little bit like this. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Carrying his own cross, he went. See, he, didn't, he wasn't dragged out. He gave his life. He went to the cross. He gave his life away. You know what? In fact, he had told his disciples earlier that he intended to give his life away. He said to them in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he went on at verse 17 and he said, I lay down my own life. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. See, Jesus didn't accidentally die. He wasn't some inspiring spiritual guru who accidentally kind of ran into the buzzsaw of Roman crucifixion. Whoops. Jesus gave his life away. He gave his life away cross was an altar of sacrifice and Jesus the good shepherd made himself the sacrificial lamb and there they crucified him the whole story of Jesus all of his life and teaching his ministry it all comes to those four words there they crucified him and with him two others one on each side and Jesus in the middle well, if Jesus gave his life, what did he give his life for? Who did he give his life 
for? If he gave his life away, who did he have in mind? I'll give my life for somebody. Who was it? The passage gives us a few clues. The first is the sign that Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, had posted on the cross. He said, make a sign, and I want you to make a sign. Post it to the cross. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This was a show of power. This was a way of saying, hey, I want everyone to see this is what Rome does with so-called kings. But what Pilate had no idea about was how true what he had posted was. Jesus was king of the Jews. He was the lead and the head of a special people of God that God intended to bless and use then to bless every nation and people in the world. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. But there's something else. You know that sign, it was written in in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. Anybody speak Aramaic in here? I didn't think so. But you know what? Almost all the people there did. And if they didn't speak that, they spoke a little Latin. And if they didn't speak that, they knew a little Greek. What does that mean? Who did Jesus die for? It's the first clue. The second clue is this. A seamless garment. The four soldiers, given the detail of execution, they had the the honor of taking whatever was left over from the person they killed. Well, Jesus didn't have much. Maybe a couple of sandals, maybe a belt. He had an outer garment. But he had a, a tunic. And it was woven in one piece from top to bottom. One piece. And so it fulfills Scripture that the soldiers had to say, well, we don't want to tear that apart. We, we better gamble to see who gets that. And so that fulfills Scripture, didn't it? But there's something more to that. A seamless garment. It takes a lot of work to make something one like that. It's very special. The unity, the wholeness, the integrity. Who did Jesus die for? Hang with me. That's your second clue. Third clue is what Jesus said to his grief-stricken mother and his broken-hearted friend John when he saw them from the cross. He said this, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. See, from the moment that Jesus said that, they were family. They weren't family by birth or by blood or by genetics, but they were family. This was the mother and this was the son, and they were bound together by the will of Jesus Christ who made them family together. Some say that's the birth of the church right there. The family of God starts to come together. Who did Jesus die for these three clues? A sign for every language, all peoples, all nations, all languages. No matter where you've come from, no matter what people you come from, Jesus has died for you. And the sign that was was posted there is posted in three languages, and anyone who read it could understand exactly who this was. Jesus, who did he die for? A seamless garment that's bound in, that's got no seams for anyone who feels ripped apart, separated, torn apart, who feels like they're isolated or alone. Jesus, the bold claim is this, Jesus has died for you. There is wholeness and unity and integrity in Jesus Christ, the family of God, the union of Mary and of John becoming family together. Listen, there's the boldness of the claim. Jesus died for you. You feel alone? The alone are not alone in Christ. If you feel separated, the separated are not separated in Christ. Do you feel orphaned, 
There are no orphans in the household of God. For we are united in one family, one family of God. That's the bold claim, friends. Jesus died. Who did he die for? He died for you. He had you in mind when he gave his life. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty and jar of wine vinegar was there so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, say it with me, church. It is finished. With that, he bowed his head gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. See, it wasn't ripped from him. Jesus gave his life. He gave his life away. In fact, his whole life was a giving away. The entire life of Jesus was a giving away, a glorious giving away of his life like a, a filament in the middle of a light bulb that's suspended between those two poles. When the electricity runs through it, it glows. The life of Jesus is this whole life suspended between his miraculous birth and his astounding death. And in between it, Jesus is pouring his life out. He's giving his life away. And he's shining with the glory of God as he gave his life away. And who did he give it away for? He gave it for you. But why did he do that? If we know who he gave his life for, why did he give his life away? Well, the dying words of Jesus were in this passage. We said it together. Just before he gave up his spirit, Jesus said, it is finished. And with half a thought in, in our brains, we have to ask, what is finished? What is finished? There's a problem in this world. It's too big for us to fix. It's too costly for us to pay. There's a problem in this world that we can't get over the top of. A man and a woman drive up to a church just a week ago in Indonesia on a motorbike and they stop outside and, and uh, when security comes their way, People are coming out of Palm Sunday worship in the front of the church. Security comes their way. Do you know what they did? They blew themselves up. A man just a few weeks ago drove from massage parlor to massage parlor in Georgia, area very close to where I used to live, gunned down eight people trying to kill some sickness that was in his own soul. A man walks into a King Supers in Boulder, very near to us, and in an instant, unleashes hell on earth. You see, there's a problem in this world. It isn't just a virus. And do I need to go on? Was there, is there anyone who would stand up and say, nope, there's no problem with this world? No, we know there's something wrong, and it needs fixed. It's too, it's too big for us uh, to, to accomplish it. It's too much for us to pay. It's too big for us to fix. And it isn't just out there in those evildoers and murderers who are doing these horrible things. No, it runs right into our own hearts. It does, friends. Because every time we turn from God, 
We block his light and we cause shadow to emerge. Every time we choose evil instead of choosing God's good, every time we disregard God, we turn from him, we invest in death, and we we take away from life. In some small measure, every one of us, every one of us contributes to this. Some years ago, a London paper submitted a, a question they sent out to all these famous authors, and they said, we want you all to write an essay, everybody write an essay, and to answer this question, what is the problem with this world? An author named G.K. Chesterton submitted a two-word essay in response. A two-word essay. What's the problem with this world? I am. I am. Because it runs right through my heart. And every time I turn away from God... I'm making a withdrawal from the light and an investment in the dark. I'm, I'm, I'm making a, a, a push away from life and toward death in some small measure and, and the debt of that corruption grows to the point where it's too big for me to pay, it's too much for me to fix. There's a problem in this world. Jesus, Jesus, he came for that, to give his life. And you say, that's outrageous. What does a man hanging on a cross outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago have anything to do with all those problems that you mentioned? Listen, this is the truth of it. Every one of these problems, every one of the things that corrupt us and that pull us away from God, that cause us to hurt ourselves, to hurt others, every one of these problems has the same root. That same root is our rejection of God. As we've turned away from him. But no matter how much you've rejected God, his love for you remains exactly the same. This same gospel writer, John, later he wrote to his church and he said this, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, an atoning sacrifice, a death to pay for all the death that we had unleashed on the world. Jesus paid what we could not pay to fix what we could not fix. But today is Easter Day. Today we celebrate. And we're not here just to celebrate a man who died for us. We're here to celebrate a man who rose Again, from the dead. Because after all this happened, after everything that we have just read and studied took place, the most remarkable thing transpired. They took his body and they put it in a tomb on a Friday night. And on Sunday morning, they came to that same tomb and found that it was open and the body was gone. And people started seeing Jesus again, alive after he was dead. Hundreds saw him. This Jesus, this Jesus, he came and he died and he sacrificed it all. He gave his life. He paid it all. And then he rose again from the dead. Our Jesus is not dead. He is very much alive. He is risen from the grave. And though we still feel the sickness unto death, the cure has set in for Christ is risen from the dead. John Stott wrote that we get three things from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, three benefits that come to us. 
We get forgiveness, power, and ultimate triumph. Let me read you this quote from from John Stott. He said, the resurrection, it enables us to face our past, however much reason we have to be ashamed of it, confident of God's forgiveness through him who died for our sins and was raised. It enables us to face our present, he said. Our present, however strong our temptations and heavy our responsibilities, confident of the sufficiency of God's power and to face our future, however uncertain it may be, confident of God's final triumph of which the resurrection is the pledge. Friends, that's what we have in Christ the risen Lord. We have forgiveness from the past. He has paid it all. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You are forgiven of your sins. Only believe and receive Jesus Christ by faith. You have power in the present. For the same power that that rose Jesus from the dead, the same power that lifted him up out of the grave, it is at work in you if you've opened your heart to Christ. And you have freedom. You have freedom from the power of sin. Christ is at work in you. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And you have hope for the future. For the triumph of Christ has been guaranteed by his resurrection from the dead. Freedom from the past. Power in the present. Hope for the future. So we ask, what's it going to cost to fix this? Jesus gave his life. He paid it all. He paid what you could not pay to fix what you could not fix. And you say, but I'm still feeling all the problem. Yes, that's right. It's because our world is still spinning out in disordered sin and selfishness, and that's running right through your own heart. Yes, the battle still wages. The battle still wages. But the war is won because Jesus Christ has declared the victory when he rose from the dead and opened up eternal life for all who believe in his name. Christ has paid the debt for you. He's given his life for you. And now is the time to respond to him. Because every one of you that puts your faith in Jesus Christ, every soul that opens itself to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, one for you on the cross, listen, when you do that, the power of God is at work in you the joy of redemption, it rushes through your blood. And you become a force for the fix, a part of the cure, as Jesus Christ is at work in you. For this reason, he came. For this reason, he gave his life. He gave his life to save yours. So I want to ask you, church, all gathered here, all gathered with us online. I want to ask you to take a minute to pray, to respond to Jesus. Some of you have spoken to Jesus a number of times, but some of you, I'm sorry to say, you have never up to this day in your life spoken a single word from the heart to Jesus, your Savior. And now is the time. This is the moment to open your heart to him, to respond to what he has done for you. For you, he gave his life. Christ has died. Christ is risen. 
and Christ will come again. So I want to ask you, church, to pray. I want to ask everyone to pray. I want you to follow along with me in prayer. And as you repeat the words that I say, you make this your own prayer, speaking not to me, speaking to Jesus Christ. He knows you. He loves you. He's here. He hears you. He sees you. And wherever you are, you can pray this prayer along with me. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and offer ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I say to you now, thank you for giving your life. Now I give you mine. I believe in you. I trust in you. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.